Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 3, Episode 2. There's a collection of short stories by Raymond Carver entitled, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. Well, the subtitle of this episode is kind of a riff on that. What we signed up for when we signed up to be leaders. For many of us, when we get our first opportunity to lead, we wind up with stars in our eyes and think about how we finally have an opportunity to have an impact. Well, maybe. Because before long, the headaches begin and we realize that there is not a whole lot of glamour in this glamorous role. There's a lot that we sign up for that's not immediately obvious. This is not true just of our first leadership role. It's true of every single leadership opportunity along the way. There will be surprises. There will be unexpected reactions from people we knew or thought we knew. But that's another episode. This time around, we're going to talk about a dynamic that is unique to our day. I think it's safe to say that across all of our recorded history, no one else has ever had to deal with this situation. Most people don't think about their place in history. Not like, I want to be famous, but more like, how did we get here? The improbabilities of life are sometimes, well, a bit disconcerting. My wife and I have to pinch ourselves from time to time to make sure this is all real. See, she's a farm girl who grew up poor and didn't know it, and I'm a small-town kid, and here we are. We all have a story of how we got to where we are, and where we are right now is the starting point for where we're going to be. That should be a source of encouragement for you. Think about the number of stories that surround you on a day-to-day basis. Everyone has a different story, every generation has a different narrative, and we all have a different sense of our place in history. Let's think about the people we currently have in the workplace. There are five generations. The greatest generation, or the traditionalists, the baby boomers, the Gen X, Generation Y, sometimes called millennials, and Generation Z, sometimes called iGen. I'll talk about each of these in a few minutes, but first I want you to think about this. That's five generations still active in our culture. And that is unprecedented. So, just so we have our bearings, let's talk about each of these. First, the greatest generation, or the traditionalist. Yes, these people are still active in the workforce, but their numbers are dwindling. The misconception is that they all fought during World War II. Not necessarily. They were all alive, though, for all or part of it. See, these folks are often still working not because they have to, but because their lives have instilled a strong work ethic in them. Work gives their life meaning, and you'll find them in their second or third career, and often as volunteers. How about the baby boomers? This group was brought up with a lot of optimism and hope for the future. They were expected to pick up the mantle from the greatest generation, and the greatest generation put a lot of expectations on them. Most of them wanted to change the world. They protested, they stood up for certain causes, and then most of them entered adult life with a great sense of disillusionment. 
I'm a bit tough on this group because they cashed in their dreams of a better world for a house in the suburbs. And to this day, the boomers experience some dissonance between what could have been and where they find themselves today. My research on this has been informal, but I'm considering formalizing it and exploring that disillusionment in greater detail. It still plays a role in their ethos and in their work. How about Gen X? These guys, the children of the boomers, are in many ways a forgotten generation. They lived under the shadow of their parents' disappointment, and this marked them. At the same time, for all of their growing up years, they lived under the threat of nuclear annihilation. Cheerful, right? Many of them came into the workforce during economically strong years, and some came in during really weak times, so their lives and careers were typically marked by the social and economic conditions when they started out. Some thrived, some did not. How about Generation Y or Millennials? Ah, Millennials. They're the victims of a lot of cultural pressure that would have been unimaginable to previous generations. They saw the rise of cable TV and the birth of media powerhouses, and they were there for the start of the computer revolution. They don't think like any generation since the traditionalists, a fact that annoys both their Gen X parents and their baby boomer grandparents. Like the traditionalists, they are driven by values. They care deeply about vision and hope. True, those values are significantly different from those of the traditionalist, but the mindset is remarkably similar. And then Generation Z, or iGen. Finally, Generation Z has begun to enter the workforce. These are the young folks, and we don't know a lot about them, but there are some interesting trends that might be worth considering. Some of these folks are fed up with technology. Being raised with computers in the classroom, taught using ebooks, they seem to be turning away from those things. They like hard copy books. They have recovered the art of letter writing, and their lives are far more analog than one would expect. Oh, they're comfortable with technology, but they don't require it, as their parents might, for crying out loud, the flip phone is coming back. See, this generation seems to not want the internet in their pocket all the time. And that's a radical shift. See, five generations in the workforce at once. Now, You'll notice I didn't call out a lot of work habits and tendencies. Here's why. That seems a little bit like profiling. Not all millennials are the same. They don't think the same way. It seems a little prejudiced to lump everyone in the same generation into one all-inclusive category. Even so, there are some things we need to be aware of as leaders. First of all, cross-generational leadership is not a puzzle to be solved. As I've said from the beginning, good leadership is good leadership. We may need to apply some nuance and awareness in cultural settings, but that's part of what makes for good leadership. In the same way, leaders need to be able to apply some nuance and awareness to leading cross-generationally. Recently, I had a conversation with someone, a kind of a youngish baby boomer, who was complaining about how difficult it was to be led by a millennial manager. That's not a failure of the manager, that's a failure in followership. That boomer needed to have the smarts, the nuance and awareness, to know how to follow well and help the millennial leader succeed. I've heard people for years complain about other generations, how bad they are, how they just don't get it, and how hard they are to lead. I don't buy it. There may be, they may be different to lead, but they're not more difficult. 
And if you're feeling frustration like that, then you may have quit growing as a leader. I'm not saying cross-generational leadership is all sparkles and sunshine. I'm saying that all leadership is challenging and you can't blame a whole generation because they don't match your style. I have a friend whose hobby it is to complain about the younger generation and I tell him, hey, you raised them. And I'm only being a little bit facetious. Jesus said we reap what we sow and that can be good and that can be bad. So, without going into a big discussion of leadership strategies, let me give you a few things to think about, things to help you have the right general mindset for this multi-generational workplace that we find ourselves in. First of all, there's an aspect of human dignity. It's an important piece of maturity when we can appreciate and respect people who think differently than we think. There's some very significant studies of how maturity works, and research has shown that less mature people are threatened by people who hold other perspectives. More maturity, and you can make strong commitments while being more kind and compassionate to those who disagree with you. This is particularly problematic in our culture where the news media pushes anger and separation. What we need is more kindness. What we need is the willingness to honor people for their innate human dignity. From a Christian perspective, this is called the Imago Dei, that everyone is made in the image of God, and because of that, everyone is worthy of honor and respect. Admittedly, the Christian community has not always lived up to that. It's my goal and desire to live out that ideal on a personal basis and to make that a hallmark of the places where I lead. That's a pretty good segue to the next piece, which is community. We need to lead one another as though we belong to one another. The public policy group Cardis from Canada has recently done some outstanding work on the nature of community and the importance of neighborliness to our general well-being. I won't steal their thunder, but I will steer you to their website, cardus, C-A-R-D-U-S dot C-A. You'll find a lot of good material there to read, to think about, and to put into practice. Years ago, I worked on a project that involved two very different groups, and as we sat down to build our collaboration, we decided to create a few ground rules. One of the most important was assume good intentions. If someone said something that was offensive to the other group, show some grace, ask questions, and assume that the person just simply didn't know how to phrase things properly. Every situation will require its own rules, but take the time to set them up. If I say something that annoys you, please let me know so I don't do it again without, without even knowing that it bugs you. How would you like me to communicate with you? Would you prefer a conversation or an email? When we have a problem, how should we work together to resolve it? That kind of thing. Make the rules, talk about them, and find healthy ways of holding people accountable. See, if you want to be an effective leader these days, you need to be able to lead cross-generationally. You cannot be what they used to call a one-trick pony. Flexibility, awareness, and nuance will be essential to your success. Five generations in the workplace. You know, I've had classrooms where the youngest student was about 22 and the oldest was about 73. 
I didn't ask. They volunteered that information. But what I've seen happen in my classrooms and in work environments is that the older people gain enthusiasm and energy from the younger, and the younger people gain wisdom and mentorship from the older. In every case, though, it's open-heartedness, it's kindness and perseverance that make it happen. It was not always easy. And if you want to lead well, you'll need to face that five-generation challenge as a joyful opportunity. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. <laughs>